Hello friends, Steve Cross here and welcome to the Podden Prometheus. If no one knows and no one cares, that's the only way you can get away with anything in this world. Hello friends, Steve here, and a little bit of a change of direction for the Pod and Prometheus today with a sports-themed podcast. Now yesterday, one of my friends, Shay, posted on Facebook, there are two types of people, people who watch the football, or people who watch Loki, and I thought, I watched them both. I'm the person who's been trying to do the odd football joke at Science Show-Off for many years now and had every single one fail because it turns out my super nerd crowds don't get football references. You have to do about 10 minutes of Star Wars material to cheer them up after one football joke. And I thought, that's not fair. We can't divide being a nerd from liking sport forever and ever. I do both. So what I've done today is I've assembled three incredible people with brains the sizes of planets. Super nerds. There are degrees dripping out of this podcast. There are people that can code. There are people with extreme sci-fi addictions that verge into cosplay and they all love sport. So we're going to find out why nerds should love sport and how to win. Enjoy winning for nerds. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Winning for Nerds, in which I, Steve Cross, uh, talk to three people with brains the sizes of planets, all of whom have had success in the sporting world to try and find out how they got there. I'm joined by three incredible people, and I'm going to say hello to them in the order that they are on my screen. Hannah, hello. Hannah, who are you and what are your what are your sporting credentials? Well, I am a scientist by training, but my first, I guess... Love was sport. I'm very privileged to have very sporty parents and family. Um, so I have my sporting credentials. I've played netball for England under 19 and Great Britain. Um, I have an orange belt at karate and I have done one lesson of horse riding. That's my credentials. That's incredible. And you're already presumably Commonwealth Games standard at horse riding after your one lesson. Absolutely. Incredible. Right, let's fly over to Alice. Hello, Alice. Who are you? What are your um, sporting credentials? Well, I'm Australian, um, so <laughs> we we grew up running pretty wild. Uh, but in terms of, you know, having any kind of uh, credentials, I think I'm number 11 for my age group in the London Marathon that I ran. And I rode for state uh, as a schoolgirl and I've just generally um, been involved in one sport or another. Uh, most of my life uh, without thinking of myself particularly as a sporty person. But I think I, I very much object, and, and maybe this is too, going into it a little too much too early, but I object to the false binary of mind versus body, that you're either a brain person or a body person, as though your brain weren't in there. <laughs> Uh, and this, I think, has partly to do with the fact that my uh, my mum had MS, and uh, so that's. I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But Incredible. it sort of fed into my ideas about this. So. so, Alice, you're not very sporty for an Australian, which is to say, incredibly sporty by the standard of anywhere else. <laughs> well, genuinely, when I went to university in England, it was it was an icebreaker to say what was your sport, and the number of blank looks that I got <laughs> from people. <laughs> Just because everyone had a school sport that they played to some level, but apparently not 
got to stay fit to run away from the wildlife. That's the lesson of Australia. <laughs> now let's fly over to uh, Karis Bradley. Karis, hello. What are your uh, sporting credentials? Well, Hannah says uh, she's blessed to have come from a sporty family. I feel like I was cursed. My dad um, played a lot of sports when he was younger, which is why he had a knee replacement at the age of like 55 and uh, he was always very keen on us playing sports. So I spent every Saturday and Sunday morning sat in the car listening to Stephen Fry read Harry Potter whilst my parents swore at my brother playing various sports. Um, So he used to play football on a Saturday, rugby on a Sunday and my dad coached rugby and my mum was always there genuinely like screaming at 14 year old boys and the referee and anyone else who was present um and then I grew up in a very small village where there wasn't really anything to do but sports and so I spent most nights of the week being very bad at sports I played cricket uh but I couldn't do any of the things so I used to be a fielder right on the edge of the field but I was quite fat so they wanted me to still do some exercise so every over I had to move to the other side of the field so cricket was basically just jogging from one side of the field to the other I played football no one would pass the ball to me if you don't ever touch the ball in football it's basically just jogging Uh, I played rugby no one would pass the ball that is just jogging I played tennis most of that was going to get the ball after you've hit it out of the court that is just jogging that is all my sports um so I hated sports for most of my life and then I very recently joined a rugby team and it turns out that you don't really have to be good at sports to play rugby because you just run into people um I'm a forward so you don't have to catch the ball you don't have to pass the ball you just run into people and fall over and I'm very good at those two things so that's my sport now Turns out what you hated was your family. (laughs) (laughs) So my my dad is now coming to watch my rugby games. And I think that, like, despite knowing each other for 28 years, for the first time in our life, we are actually friends because we have, I now have opinions about the Welsh starting lineup. So we actually have a conversation like that we can have for the first time in our lives. It's very, it's very strange. I was banned from attending my twin brother's rugby games because the first one I attended uh, when so we we went uh, to the same primary school and then we went to different high schools and the first one I attended in his year seven uh, he got tackled and I ran onto the field uh, to defend him so I was, uh, <laughs> I, was the same thing. I think that's My... exactly right though and Alice aren't you a twin I am yes yeah so this is your twin brother this is my twin, yes. Um, so one of the reasons I've got you on is that I've got um, twins who are two and there's one girl, one boy. And I've got to work out that delicate balance of, you know, I'd like them to be interested in sport, but I don't want to force them. I don't want to feel the the the, the pain that Karis felt, but I'm not quite sure I want to spend every single Saturday and Sunday driving them to matches as Hannah's parents no doubt did. So I've got that in-between thing. You definitely, you don't want to get them interested in swimming because swimming, you have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning to get them to places. Rowing, rowing, I think is the Anything to do with water, bad. So here's the thing that I think about, about getting someone interested in sport is similar to the process of of parenting as far as I know, or as far (laughs) as I can bear bear witness or, you know, on, on the side of having been parented. Um, it's it seems to be a matter of identifying what they are interested in and seeing what about something 
might be interesting to them. So for me, I was I was bullied at school and I was not very much a team player. So I tended to play uh, things where there was an individual edge to it. Rowing is actually quite a solitary sport, even when you're in a quarter or an eight, because you're, you know, it's you're all facing the same direction. So you're sort of in this communal experience, but you're not forced to interact and you can play your own part. Um, and so, and running, of course, very much like that as well. But for example, I loathed netball because netball is a vector for bullying. <laughs> right. I think on that, we have to cut straight to Hannah Thompson. Um, it's a very dangerous sport Hannah, as well, isn't it, netball? Hannah, so netball, uh, bullying, um, not Injuries. for people who enjoy their own company, extremely dangerous. Uh, your mm. rebuttal. Yeah, my rebuttal. I don't, I feel netball is very political. There is lots of, you need to get on with everybody and you can often get to lots of fights and things with within the team and then the team just disintegrates from the inside, right? And that is a pain in the ass. And I have counteracted that by moving team every two years. So <laughs> I don't have to put up with all of those things. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time work, like traveling around for work and changing jobs and things. Um, so I change netball teams a lot, and that helps with that side of stuff. Um, yeah, my mum was my coach to start with, so it was hard. I couldn't really be too bitchy or bully. So I've grown up being quite nice and friendly. I hope in my netball teams. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to get some people on to see. <laughs> the implication of that is that it's all a facade, and what you actually wanted to be was bitchy and bully and you've just been holding it back this whole time and then as as the mum is not your coach you're just going to unleash it on everybody so for a sport that was invented as a ladylike sport you know it doesn't have the kind of running and contact that for example basketball wow. has it is so in it's so wildly aggressive and violent my my yeah. twin brother's wife is a world champion indoor netball player Amazing. and she's six foot tall and she's an absolute amazon and she can just yeah. You know, she's just a supreme athlete and watching her netball games, which I have occasionally done in the in the name of family support, is <laughs> genuinely more traumatic than watching an action movie. It's so aggressive. Yeah, I like the aggressive side of it. So I think when I play with my mum's team, my mum's 50 now, and we I just sort of catch up with her by playing netball with her team, which is super slow, and I get really annoyed because I can't smash into people as much as I would playing in the national team. So, yeah. But, I mean, that's the sort of the nature of it being political is that you have to pretend that you're not intending to smash into people yeah. when you obviously like, are. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, I didn't so intend to do that. That's a sorry, sorry do because, like, um, when I used to play 11-a-side football, um, a lot of the time I was playing against people who were a lot younger and a lot faster mm. than me. And I was a defender. So a lot of my game involved tripping them up, pulling them back, generally anything like that. Um, I actually gave up the day that one guy who was taller than me rounded on me, started screaming in my face. And what he was screaming was the phrase, I'll wet you up. And I didn't know what this meant. So I just started laughing yeah. uh, and he kept shouting it louder and louder. And in the end, his bench emptied in order to haul him off, which is a thing that I've never seen happen in sport is that the bench empties to drag their own player off. Amazing. Uh, it turns out I'll wet you up means I will stab you. <laughs> so that was the time when I was like, I'm now not fast enough to play 11 aside against 19 year olds anymore. I need to stop. Yeah, I would have thought your tactic would be some mental word calling. <laughs> I, I like the idea that you cancelled because the banter wasn't good enough, not because of the actual, not because the threat was intimidating. It was because it was just badly delivered. 
Well, it was more that I just spent the whole game pulling him back and doing no actual football in any sense. But um, going back to Hannah's mental point, when I used to play hockey at school, a lot of it was mental because mm. uh, we were a little posh school. Um, sometimes <laughs> we'd play against state schools and the state schools would destroy us because the state schools had ethnic diversity, which means they had loads of six foot tall uh, people from Indian or Pakistani backgrounds who'd been playing hockey since they were one. And they would absolutely batter us. So we like playing against other posh schools where it's just loads of other white boys who are rubbish at hockey. Um, But they were dead easy to wind up and intimidate. I think that's one of the great things about sport uh, that that is much more, there is a lot more natural diversity, particularly in team sport, particularly in places like football or rugby, uh, than in the arts where a lot of diversity pushes can feel forced you know, basically there, there's a huge number of, of scholarship boys at private boys' schools, which is the ones that you pay for in Australia, a uh, huge proportion of people who've just been shipped in to be part of the rugby team who are getting, you know, entree into these extremely exclusive kind of otherwise what you I would think, think is, of as white man circles. I think uh, that is bullshit. I think that is bullshit. Every single girl who played sport in my high school looked absolutely identical down to the Pineapple Studios tank tops and like matching <laughs> underwear. That is ridiculous. Like the, the whole point of team sports is that you look like a team and everyone does. And then if you look like a team where you all look absolutely identical and then there's one person who has clearly been brought on because they are of a different race and people presume that they're good at sport, that is no more like forced than uh, than kind of like diversity quite in in the arts that is uh that is not my experience of of sport at all i think it's a um a different thing in different countries the uk doesn't really have the idea of a sports scholarship except for things like rowing at oxford and cambridge so international rowers can always do a master's in education at oxford and cambridge whereas australia i assume is more like the american system where school sport matters because it becomes college sport so in america you do get these incredible things where all of the sports teams are people from extremely poor backgrounds in these incredible universities that cost a fortune to go to otherwise. Which is not to say that there aren't, uh, you know, downsides to that idea that, you you know, for for people who are in part of ethnic minorities, that sport or rap is the only way out of that uh, particular, you know, socioeconomic bigotry that happens. But I think uh, it, it is one of the things that you see in, in Australian schools and universities mm. is this uh, odd sportsman-like egalitarianism, which I think is a little uh, it's a little limited, more limited than you'd want it to be, but it is a positive thing. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous to say I did get a scholarship to go to uni for netball. Wow. Only £500, so... Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> Don't know Barely where I a sponsorship by the standard. <laughs> but yeah, they did bring in people to Bath Uni for netball. Sort of, it was an intensive netball centre. So, what did you spend your five hundred pounds on, Hannah? Obviously, on protein powder. <laughs> <laughs> spend it on games. Yeah, sadly, I bought lots of buckets of things that then, yeah, that I didn't actually use in the end. of it went out of date. <laughs> And then I uh, busted my knee and they chucked me out of the scholarship. So. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Yeah. I do I have suppose... a titanium knee now, so it's all good. That's pretty exciting. How did mm. you bust your knee? 
um, before uni started, we went for pre-season. We trained three times a day for three weeks in a row. And then I went to an England camp on my knee. I was just running in a straight line and then it blew up, basically. <laughs> I was very tired, I think. Wow. Um, and I think in hindsight, my body mechanics probably weren't set up to play netball. Like if I tried to squat down, I'd get like two inches and then just fall to the floor. <laughs> and after I had my surgery, they were like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't have been playing. I was like, damn it. But now they screen everyone for that. So that's good. So my, my dad had his knee replaced um, last year, like just before the pandemic, uh, because he so he has played he played a lot of sports when he was younger. He played rugby. And then um, uh, when he was too old for rugby, he played football and he uh, got like tackled by someone whose their boot caught him in the back Ooh. of the Achilles, like just ripped his Achilles um, open. Um, and so he had to have surgery on that. And then he had a bad knee. And as a consequence, his like he, his legs were very wonky. And so he, the one calf on his right hand side is like two two times the size of the calf on the other side because of the comp like it having to compensate for his weaker knee and his weaker Achilles. Um, and then he's had his mm. uh, he had his knee replaced, which it only takes like six weeks to recover from that surgery, which I thought was incredible. And then he was able to like walk on it and stuff again. And now because his knee is better and he's more mm -hmm. like balanced, but he's got this one monster calf, um, his, the quad on the, his other leg is now having to compensate. And so that has now got an enormous in comparison to his right quad. And so his legs, he's got one huge leg and one really skinny leg, but it's not the same leg. It's like, two halves of two different legs that have been mashed together so his body is really weird looking yeah sorry alice did you pick up any injuries uh, i broke my back rowing um so i was uh hit by a boat while in a boat and oh, no. fractured my fourth and fifth lumbar vertebrae and ruptured the disc uh, it was a minor uh, fracture i was about 17 and i recovered fairly quickly but there was a couple of scary weeks there where i couldn't feel below my knees Little, a little worrying, um, but uh, no long-term effects other than yeah. that I, I complain that I don't like sitting still for too long, but I think that's probably just that I don't like sitting still for very long, oh, but I have an course. excuse that I once many years ago broke my back. Perfect. I've got a, a very bad left knee from playing five-a-side football at the Wellcome Trust Genome Campus during the Human Genome Project. It was a particularly brutal sliding tackle from behind by a genome sequencer. The annoying thing is he didn't even hit me. I heard it coming, so I jumped over the top. And then it was the landing on the bad surface that twisted my knee. And still, when it's cold, I can feel it. It's like, Yeah. And of course, uh, I played basketball for five years, so my knees and ankles are just disasters generally, just weakness and swelling. If I ever play anything now, it's like support on everything strapped round and round and round and round. I've recently discovered the miracle that is K-tape, which has just been like an absolute revelation because we've just played like a mini COVID season, uh, like a small pre-season because we haven't been able to play contact for a year. And... I have had a couple of injuries 
in matches in our uh, first match back, someone grabbed me by the top knot and pulled me onto my head in an attempt at a tackle, um, which was my first time experiencing like shock on a rugby pitch. That was quite scary um, because I'm not really sure what happened, but we've kind of like pieced it together from photos. And I hit the ground and then was immediately crying. And then the like some our physio and stuff came over and I was like, oh no, I actually think I'm fine. I think it's just shock. I'll be okay now. And they were like, it will not be. You will lie there until we're happy for you to walk off the pitch and then I wasn't allowed to play the rest of the match and then not the next match but the next match after that uh, I got tackled and my foot got trapped as I went down and there was such a loud click that the ref instinctively blew his whistle and was like what was that what has snapped Um, but my worst injury that I've had this season was in training in a warm-up thing like we were not doing contact we had not even properly started the training session yet we were just doing a small warm-up drill and uh the ball got dropped so I was tidying up the ball at the same time that someone else was trying to tidy up the ball and we got tangled up as we fell over and something happened in my shoulder (laughs) and now like if if it's gonna rain I now get pain in my shoulder blade and I think I'm just gonna that's just gonna be my life for the for the rest of my life I'm just now gonna have this weather predicting shoulder blade that one took quite a long time to heal. But K-tape fixes anything. And it's we've done, we've yeah. done injuries. I want to talk about transgressions. I want to know about sendings off, bannings, um, stern words from referees and controllers, cheating. What have you done? My The only memories I have is from very young. My mum used to run this club called Cherry Cheadle. Cheadle Cherries Netball Club when we lived in Manchester. Um, and this girl was annoying me. So I threw the netball at the back of her head really hard unfortunately (laughs) she lived on the same road as me and we were giving her a lift home and I just remember being so angry and I can't remember why (laughs) just that we had to give her a lift home that she was there um but then I learned not to do that because it's very nasty I haven't done that since but that's all I could think of considering how aggressively you play that's absolutely amazing (laughs) Alice any misbehavior uh, not not in informal sport, but I, certainly growing up with a twin brother, there was all sorts of uh, ways of evening the score uh, equitably. My my brother uh, liked to do a lot of like violent <laughs> games, like running around, you know, sort of wrestling or, or jumping off things or getting tackled. Uh, and so my my tactic would be uh, as a child I would occasionally fake an injury and then when he came in close I'd whap him. <laughs> that was my most Machiavellian phase of life was like the the playing dead and then when he came in to see if I was all right I'd lash out brutally punishing him to, for his empathy. <laughs> that starts with twins early though. By the age of two my daughter would uh, hit my son in the face then burst into tears and say Ben pushed me. Oh. <laughs> It's like, no, we were watching the entire incident. Karis, you've been sent off yet? Uh, no, I find the whole, like, cheating thing very difficult. Um, so we have had a couple of, when we've been trying to explain, like, because rugby obviously has quite a lot of rules and it's quite complicated. Uh, and when we're trying to clarify rules in training sessions, I, so I play in a development team, um, which means that most people who join the team have never played rugby before. And it's all about like getting more people involved in rugby. So we have a lot of new people trying to understand the rules. And our coach will always be like, 
you know, you just do whatever. And then if the ref says that's not allowed, you say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm very new to this game. I, I didn't understand. But like the... I do, I do not have the capacity to lie like that. Um, so if I was going to do something intentionally bad in the game, then I would be too paranoid about people being able to see through the lie. And we, we had a match a, a week ago um, and I scored uh, I was scored a try and it was like quite a tough kind of try. It was, um, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, scored actually two in that game and we still lost by so many points. But it was like a, you know, pick up the ball from a ruck and then have to run through a whole bunch of people and get it on the floor kind of try. And then I got it down and then one of the players from the opposition put her hands underneath the ball. And then we were like looking at the ref to see if he was going to award the try because it was definitely a try. And then she just cheated. And I was complaining about this to my captain. And uh, my captain was like, yeah, I definitely would have done that. You've got to try it because <laughs> if you if you get away with it, then they won't get the try. But I, I find that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Um, but the story that you told Alice about running onto the pitch when your twin got uh, tackled, there was, a, I remember a tournament that my brother was playing in once when my dad was uh, coaching him and uh, he was like on the edge of the pitch and my brother was in a ruck and a boy from the opposition was like kneeing him in the kidneys. And my dad, without thinking, just reached into the ruck and grabbed the boy that was like kneeing my brother and pulled him <laughs> off the ruck and just like out of out of the pitch and then realized what he'd done. And the ref was like, what? And my dad was like, yes, I understand. And then just had to had to leave the pitch. See, I'm, I'm worried about that with my kids, like because I am. Um... I've always been a notoriously dirty and gobby player. So, uh, and also somebody that will point out every tiny bit of cheating that the opposition is doing really, really, really loudly to try and gain the referee's affection. It doesn't work, but it winds the opposition up. Yeah. So like when that's happening, I'll be standing there going to the ref, that kid is elbowing my kid in there. And as the kid comes off, I'll be screaming in their face, dirty <laughs> little shit. You know, I was the sort of player that if somebody was really dirty, I just wouldn't shake their hand when they left the pitch which led to at one point uh, a center forward having to be restrained because he was so he, like he'd been just pulling at me for the whole game and then um he when i shake my hand i just went nah walked off did and he threaten he to wear him up mind. <laughs> he lost, it was his own team had to restrain him again i haven't even got onto my sendings off Keris. um so f- like rugby parents are terrible people i think um, we played a game, uh, we played a match in, at Chiswick once and Chiswick is quite a posh club. They have like one of those fancy 5G pitches um, and we were using their pitch because uh, the game previous, it had rained so much that before the game, we as a team had had to go onto the pitch with buckets and spades to get rid of all the water because it was a drowning <laughs> hazard in all of the like puddles on the pitch. We were, when we turned up at Chiswick, there was a youth game, like an under 15 game happening before us. And it was Chiswick versus Hammersmith. And so the Chiswick team were all these incredibly well-fed, massive boys. They were all like six foot and really built and really fit and healthy. And then all the Hammersmith kids were like tiny and malnourished and weedy. And um, 
they were getting absolutely destroyed. When we got there, Chiswick was like 50 points up. It was ridiculous. And there was this mother who was part of the Chiswick's team who was screaming and swearing at all of the Hammersmith boys, like properly swearing at them. And when we were watching, this poor kid from Hammersmith who was like losing so badly walked past this woman who was telling him like to fuck off and stuff. And he, so he turned around and was like, oh, just leave me alone. And then she sicked her boy on him. She was like to, the Chiswick team you and you get him uh and was just like calling on her boys to seek out this yeah. kid and attack him on the rugby pitch and then everyone else was like yes this is perfectly normal behavior that we won't <laughs> tell this woman to calm down or, or leave do not be one of those mm. parents Steve but it's difficult like if you're a kid if you're a kid playing against adults that's really difficult as well when I was 13 um <clears throat> I was playing for my school's hockey team and um we played against a local, like a grown-ups club. Was I 13? No, I was 15. 15. We played against this local grown-ups club. And um, so I was 15. I'm trying to mark some 42-year-old grizzled veteran who's got every <laughs> trick in the world. Like my ankles are practically bleeding from how much they've been tapped. And then um, he scored a goal. And in the depths of my frustration, I shouted to the referee, also a member of the same adult team, can't we disallow it because he's a wanker and the ref <laughs> called me over and he said listen I've, ha I've had to talk to you already about your language and I said no you haven't that was number three I'm number 13 look and then he sent me off about <laughs> an abusive language um that first person to be sent off in I think 10 years playing hockey for my school uh, for foul and abusive language all of which I feel was justified the ref doesn't know the difference between two numbers and uh, his friend was a wanker <laughs> all this talk is reminding me of when I went to watch my brother have in a boxing match against a kid and their family were shouting at the kid like we're not going to give you any birthday presents if you don't win and the kid was getting so like aggravated and I started crying because I was like this is so mean the kid doesn't deserve it I'm just going to get really aggressive on my brother and oh my god <laughs> Can I give uh, I you the children's riposte to all of this? I was in the park two days ago with my two-year-olds. We were watching four-year-olds learn to play football because I want to get mine, you know, looking at it and thinking we'll do that. And one kid was dribbling. The, they were all doing dribbling practice. And one kid dribbled the ball along, stopped suddenly, just let his legs relax and then lay down and started trying to <laughs> sleep. And his dad's shouting, get up, come on, you've got to do that. It's not a competitive game or anything. And the kid's like, no. Just lay there, <laughs> trying to go to sleep. I just thought that's that's the way you deal with it, passive aggression. Mm. So Alice, this, you're about to say something amazing. Yeah, this idea of the sort of the, the invested parents, I think that's yeah. uh, where maybe I was lucky in terms of not getting turned off sport because I, this odd thing where p parents use their children as proxies for their own uh, mm. failures and disappointments in life uh, or their own desire to, to engage in the world. I, I don't know what it is, but my parents were very not, not interested in that and there's this sort of narrative of like oh the boy waiting for his dad to come to his football game and I just I cannot think of anything worse you know <laughs> than forcing your parents to watch a boring children's sports game uh my mum would just uh come and and sit and read in the, in the stands and I'd look over there and she'd be reading and that would be fine uh or, or likewise my dad would occasionally show up to things but the idea of, yeah, this kind of aggressive barracking from the sidelines uh, seems strange to me. 
Mm. Yeah, I didn't experience that at all. But now I I experienced my mum shouting at the TV rather than me. So she even shouts at the TV when she's watching snooker. She just gets so invested <laughs> in like any kind of sport. But I never noticed that at all when I was playing. I don't know I mean, what she's what's, doing. What's wrong with that? I think TV should be more of an interactive medium. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. Weirdly, my parents don't sport at all, have never sported even slightly, could never understand when I did any. And I wasn't mm. very good at any of it. You know, I'm telling all these stories. I was never good. But sport was the thing that stopped me. The joke I always used to say was sport is what stopped me becoming Morrissey. Because other than that, I was just like a fey child who thought he was cleverer than everybody else. Whereas a bit of being crap at playing right back at football really brought me down to earth and sorted me out see i'm a massive believer in failure <laughs> like i yeah. really think it's important to do things that you're not good at um just as a, as a way of and i think that's where sport is a good thing and where this kind of false binary between mind and body breaks down that like one of the best things about sport is it it helps your brain it helps you get used to working hard at something or not being good at something or uh, trying and failing or slowly improving or all these other things where you can sort of shield yourself from reality, particularly in sort of intellectual pursuits because it's, oh, it's all subjective or it's all a matter of taste or it's all a matter of opinion or it's all a matter of politics. Whereas, you know, if it's you and this goal, you're either doing it under the time or you're doing it over the time. Like that's... Yeah it and maybe that's why I was drawn to these sort of semi-individualistic sports rugby is is not good for your brain though at least long term like if you're looking for a sport to help your brain in old age like you should do some sudoku or something because or be a back I guess yes Um, I I exclude uh impact (laughs) high impact sports no so I had I have uh, I had two great uncles who played rugby uh one of whom played for Leicester Tigers um professionally and the other one who played for the Leicester Tigers mm-hmm. B team um and had a lot more fun because there was a lot more beer involved but my great uncle David he had the he had the most caps ever for Leicester Tigers and then he uh, got Parkinson's and we were we were not surprised um because he played in the days when mm-hmm. they didn't really believe that concussion was a was a thing so Yes, I think like some some mm. rowing is going to be a, a more stimulating brain activity, less less dangerous. Well, the, the the really good discipline of rowing is that most of rowing is like nigglingly unpleasant. <laughs> um, so you have these moments of transcendence where it's dawn and the, everything's moving smoothly and the everyone's moving together and the boat is moving like just silk through the water and there's birds and the sunrise and it's glorious. But the rest of it is just like... Every time you bring your oar back, it chips something like as you're just clicking against something, and there's a bolt sticking out that's scraping your hip, and somebody behind you's leaning to the left, and you have like <laughs> just <laughs> incredibly frustrating. And I do think of that as being like quite a good uh, discipline for everyday life that you mm. just have to stay focused through all of this garbage. Hannah, you've got a long and storied career. Um, are there moments that you 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 think about where you're like, this is when? This is when I it really came together. Um, there was a moment when I when I was growing up, I was quite tall. But then as I got better at netball, everyone got taller than me. I got pushed into the centre of the netball, I guess, the lineup. So I was centre court, which means I had to be much fitter. 
And I remember a few sessions, I just was hitting this wall of fitness where I was like, ah, I can taste blood in my mouth. I'm running, but I just I can't concentrate or like I'm losing everything. <laughs> and then I just decided to push through one day. <laughs> um, and for some reason it worked. I was just like that mental engagement in that, I don't know, whatever it was that helped me get through and be quite a good player in the end in the centre, which surprised me. And I spoke about this with my sister. She also played netball for England, but indoor netball in the nets, inside nets. Um, and she had a similar experience as well. It was really interesting and just kind of like, yeah, mind over body, I guess, in that sense. Um, really helped. I had a similar thing to Hannah, but not necessarily on the pitch and more to do with the um like pints drinking afterwards because in our when we as our our team when we play <laughs> at the end of the game we nominate a best forward a best back and then a player's player and you have to do a boat race with the other team and the first pint that I ever had to down for my team I like choked it down and then went, went and threw up in the in the toilets because it was like fizzy and horrible and it hit my stomach and then I, it just came straight back up again but the last time that I had to do it I got it down in three goes and I was not the fastest person because we have a player on our team who she played rugby all the way through university. She was the first, she was on the first women's team at Leicester University to play in the Leicester Tigers stadium and she's a forward and she's like, you know, very, very, very good at rugby, but she also can down a pint in like two seconds as if it's not a big deal. So she won, (laughs) but then I was there, I was second and I like did 90% of the pint in one go. And it's because I've been putting on all this training and, you know, I was hitting a wall and I couldn't get it, but then I pushed through and now I can almost do the whole thing <laughs> in one go. So that's been my big achievement of this season. I wanted us to wrap up by just giving some advice to nerds who are thinking sports, not for me, about what they can get out of it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start by just doing a couple of examples from my life so that you've all got a moment to think about what you were going to say. So I think the things that I learned was um, how to deal with other people. So I've only ever played team sports. Um, I don't like uh, individual sports because it's the learning to play with other people that's the most important bit for me. If I'm going to do something on my own, I'll just play Fallout 4 again. Um <laughs> And that, so that was massive for me. Learning to support and um, lift up people was really important to me because I was like this high flying kid and learning actually to help other people to develop was a big deal. And the other one was just spatial awareness. Uh, this is why I used to play a lot of point guard in basketball and just the ability to be able to track where nine other moving people are without necessarily having to look at all of them is amazing for parenting. So I can just <laughs> sit I can sit in the park with my eyes relatively unfocused and still know at all times both the position and uh, speed and direction of my children and everything else that's happening around me. So I don't freak out. Like I can tell you in advance whether that bike that's coming from the far left is going to hit that child that's moving on. And it's all that all comes from basketball of the, the being able to look in one direction, still map all this stuff around me. Uh, so you should definitely do that. But also, you know, you have to have a certain type of personality to be able to do that in basketball. Most people can't, but it's really good for training. It. So I'm going to ask you all, uh, we'll start with Hannah and then we'll go to Alice and then we'll go to Karis. Why should all of our listeners who hate sport do it anyway? Hannah? Well, I play ball sports as well. And 
I've really enjoyed the ability to catch things really quickly, falling off tables or anything like that. Also, my colleagues find it quite entertaining. They, they throw stuff at me and I can just catch it. Apparently, it's quite weird. That's um, a good party trick to have. Um, again, I like the observant angle. I like sort of I'm quite good at watching stuff happen and getting enjoyment out of funny things that maybe happen in the street that maybe other people don't look at. And I think that's come from that perspective Mm. having the wider perspective across the netball court um and then i think communication is one of the things that i've enjoyed the most in my life like learning to communicate with people and give feedback which i think links into this learning from failure and it took me three times to trial and get into the england squad for example but i'm not giving up and i think that's what leads me to love working in startups so much as well because i think lots of those skills are very transferable amazing Alice, why should nerds take up sport? Um, because you only have what you have. So this is I'm going to come back to what I was talking about at the beginning, which was my mum had MS and she would go, she had very limited energy, very limited uh, physical ability. She would go every morning, she'd stagger down to the harbour and go for a little swim. And that was often the only thing she could do in a day. And then I would go to university or school and be surrounded by these like languid, beautiful art students who were like, uh, who'd ever <laughs> use their legs? And I just wanted, you know, it made me so angry and obviously, you know, disproportionately angry because of this situation where people were sort of wasting what they could do. And I'm not one of these people who think that you need to like become, you know, and you don't need to treat your body like a temple, just treat it like a public toilet you're going to use again at some point. <laughs> just do a thing, just do something, do what you can do within your own constraints, within your own interests, within your own limits, because you know, and again, it's not about being beautiful. I don't have I don't have that thing where I believe the smaller a woman becomes, the more powerful she is, like orange juice getting condensed. I don't think that I just think you should you should do what you can and then it gives you this sense of yourself in the world and your physical self in the world because it's very easy if you're an intellectual type person or a nerdy type person to live in in a sort of a detached um, space. It's very addictive and very appealing but there's so much interest and engagement in where that detached space meets with reality and I think sport uh, and or any kind of physical activity um, gives you a way of engaging with the real world. And I think that's more interesting and more dynamic. I don't know. I feel kind of I have very complicated emotions about sport because I have played a lot of sports, all of them badly, um, because it's not like I have no I have no spatial awareness. I have no hand-eye coordination. I'm not very good at any of these things. Um, but I've I've played a lot because it has been good for me in various ways. Like it's generally better for my mental health um I have done it because I've had a big crush on someone at my gym and so it was like exciting to go and see them every day I've had lots of different motivations <laughs> for doing sports I did Zumba for a very long time because it really helped with my programming skills like going and learning all of the different dance routines was very good pattern recognition for me when I was doing my PhD so there have been like I would call unexpected I would call them unexpected bonuses to doing this thing that I didn't on the face of it enjoy mm -hmm. But I think if you like find having found rugby recently and actually really enjoying it, having tried a thousand other sports and not gone on with any of them, that has been quite fun. 
And so like if you are someone who is listening and you think that you're crap at sports, but you'd quite like to give it a go. The thing that I would say is that you are there are there are loads of like very nerdy sports. Like you don't have to go and play football if you think that the football kind of culture is toxic because you could go play Quidditch instead. Quidditch has a really wonderful community attached to it where they've got like really inclusive policies and they want everyone to have a nice time. There is a sport that you can play which is uh, modeled on pro bending from Avatar the Last Airbender where you like throw beanbags at each other and it looks very fun. So like if you want to play sports <laughs> but you hate sports, there are lots of sports that exist for that and there are lots of them that are kind of built around communities that you are already a part of and so if you're massively into uh fantasy or sci-fi series you should see whether or not there is a sport from that thing because that might be a a better way of doing sports than being shouted out by a bunch of netballers who just want to barge into you on the court because you don't know how to play netball (laughs) yeah if anyone wants to play the uh, four-dimensional freeze tag game from ender's game uh, it doesn't exist (laughs) <laughs> but you could invent it. Is down. I just think if it's not it, it's not it. Like people who play Quidditch don't play Quidditch. They play running around with sticks. But they have so <laughs> much fun whilst they're doing it, so it doesn't matter. And it's much better than Quidditch because trans people are allowed to play. So perfect, perfect, good. Right, let's <laughs> uh, let's wrap up. Um, do any of you have any things you would like to advertise to our wonderful listeners? Yeah, so I have a, a new work in progress show. It is called Sports Person. So um, has some similar themes to this podcast. Uh, and it's going to be on at the Camden Fringe on the 6th and 7th of August at 6.45pm. That's the Friday and Saturday. And then it will also be on at um, Co- in Coventry at a date yet to be determined, but keep keep an eye out. Um, and also at the Aberystwyth Festival. And you can find out more about that from the Aberystwyth Comedy Festival site. Uh, I have a weekly podcast called The Gargle, uh, which is a spin-off of The Bugle podcast. I also have a weekly podcast called Tea with Alice. I have a monthly podcast called The Last Post. I have a couple of documentaries up on Audible, and uh, all of my stuff is available at patreon.com slash Fraser. I have nothing to advertise, but you can find me at Dr. Hannah T on social media if you'd like. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you all very, very, very much. I look forward to all of our nerd friends sending us pictures of themselves covered in mud for some reason or another. Yes. It's been a real pleasure working with you all. Say bye-bye to our lovely listeners. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.